morning. How was your weekend? I really mean it. How was your weekend? Go who's. We don't want to start a riot here, do we? So we'll just kind of open up the Bible, let that start a riot. Hey, welcome to Portico Church. Uh, my name is Jason. It's my privilege to open up the Word of God with you. Uh, as Pastor Johnny said, we are walking through the Lord's Prayer one petition at a time. Today is the fifth petition, second to last one, um, where we are asking, Jesus is teaching us to ask God, in the same sentence that we ask him for bread, like we walked through last week, we're asking for forgiveness with the assumption that we are forgiving as well. This is something that unites all of us, every single one of us, I guarantee it, have been wounded or hurt by somebody. To such a degree that just when I mentioned that, you already have a name, a picture in your head of the person that wounded you. You know who it was, when it happened, and you know how you feel about it now, every one of us. So this prayer is extremely practical, and it's critical to our relationship with God. It's critical to our relationship with others. And let's not forget that Jesus is actually teaching a kingdom. This prayer is positioned in Matthew right after the Beatitudes or, or Jesus teaching what it looks like to live in his kingdom when heaven breaks through and establishes itself on earth. So we've all needed to forgive somebody, all of us. And for some of us, the wounds are so deep that it doesn't even make sense to forgive. I don't even know how to start that process. In fact, I don't even know why I would forgive that person. And if, I, if Jesus is telling me to do that, I guess I'll try, but what does that look like? So we're going to talk about that today. What is forgiveness? How do we give it? How do we even experience it? We need to know this. We need to see it, and we need Scripture to teach us what it looks like for us to issue forgiveness. It's funny, we don't, in our culture today, we don't, we don't forgive people, we cancel them, right? Cancel culture, we just do that. It's just, no, we will use everything we have to shut you down. Now, we might laugh at that as adults, but do you know that that's rampant on our high school campuses now? It's the new form of bullying. If you don't like somebody, you cancel them. They're dead, they're just invisible. So, church, Portico Church, let's lead this. Let's understand first what it means that we're a culture that has been forgiven and that we, we lead this charge in forgiveness. This may be one of the hardest parts of the Lord's Prayer because it's so personal, so personal. So we're going to jump in there today. This sermon, a lot of the text that I have today and a lot of the content I have today, um, I stole it. I'm just going to tell you up front. Uh, one of my great friends, Pastor Steve King from Cherrydale Baptist Church, he's been my mentor and a spiritual father to me um, for years. He's done a lot of good work on forgiveness. Everything I've learned about actually forgiving people, he's taught me in real time, not in the abstract, but in, no, you need to forgive that person, and here's how you do that. So I'm copying, I'm, I'm, I'm taking his stuff with his permission because it's so good as we walk through what it means for us 
to forgive. So I just want to just honor him and throw that out there. So we're going to pray, and then we're just going to jump right into it because it's good. So would you walk with me to the Lord as we prepare to understand what it means for us, what it means for you to forgive? Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Um, In Christ, we don't stand here as those that will someday know what it means to be forgiven fully. We stand before you as fully forgiven now. I have two prayers this morning that we would understand the weight of that truth, that we are forgiven fully before you. And secondly, Lord, would you teach us what it means to forgive others from the heart? Would you do that, Lord? We, we believe that all things are possible through you. Help us to want this. Help us to receive this from you today. So would you open up your word, Lord, as we open it up, that we might behold its treasure. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. So I'm going to give you four things. They all start with C. Very simple. It's easier for me to remember that way. Uh, forgiveness is four things. First, it's costly. It's going to cost you in ways you're probably not ready for or willing to pay. It's costly. Secondly, it's countless. Forgiveness is countless. It's not something that you do and then you push pause on it. Jesus teaches us that we continue to do it over and over again. There's no limit to it. Thirdly, it's comparative. So when we're issuing forgiveness to people, it's something that springs from the forgiveness that we have. So as we struggle to actually give forgiveness, as we choke on that, we can look at our own record in practical ways and can see it's comparative. God has forgiven us, and in doing so, he empowers us and teaches us how to forgive. And lastly, it's consequential, meaning this. When you forgive somebody, it has extreme consequences. It will unfold a a domino, a cascading series of events that will blow up God's kingdom in a good way. When you refuse to forgive, because it's two things, you either forgive or you don't. If you refuse to forgive, it it affects you body, mind, and soul. It'll tear you up personally, internally, and also, as we read today, um, we're actually refusing God's grace for our life. We're saying, I don't want it. So it has grave, grave consequences. So it's costly, it's countless, it's comparative, and it's consequential. So let's walk through that together. So sin, or uh, not sin, why do I go first to that? I guess because I'm a pastor, right? Um, Should go to grace first. Forgiveness is costly. It's going to cost you. So let's discern that a little bit. Here's what I mean by that. And and the reason I'm talking about sin, because we always think of it as an action. That is true. But think of it this way in this context. Sin is relational debt, period. Think of it through that lens for a minute, especially when it comes to forgiveness. Sin creates relational debt. Think of somebody that has sinned against you. How do you feel when they walk in the room? You might get angry. You might get fearful. You might want out of that. You might want to run up to their face and talk to them. Something has transpired with that person. They have taken something from you. 
It might be your good name. It might be your reputation. It might be a spouse. I mean, it, something at work. They've taken from you, and it's created debt. They owe you. Sin does that. It creates relational debt. Now, Jesus is explaining life in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and he calls us to pray for forgiveness. Ask for it. Let me just read it to you. We've read it once, but here we go again. He says, and forgive us our debts, this is verse 12, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Relational restoration. This is what we are asking for from God, and this is what we are commanded to do with others. But there's debt. You feel the weight of that when somebody sins against you. So Davis, David is famous for saying in Psalm, or not Psalm, Isaiah 51, against you only, Lord, have I sinned. You know when he said that? Uh, he committed adultery, and he committed premeditated murder. And then he has the gall to say, well, it was just against the Lord. Now, that's not what he's saying. Of course, he sinned against other people in this environment, but he recognizes in that moment, every sin is a sin to God relationally first. When you sin against another image bearer, when you sin against God's creatures and his creation, you're first and foremost sinning against God. It creates relational debt. That's what Jesus is talking about. So, when we're asking for forgiveness, we're walking into relational restoration with God. We're claiming what Christ has done on our account, and we're asking God for it. Um, let me read a parable here that Jesus taught. So in Matthew 18, Jesus expands on what it means to forgive and to be forgiven. And Peter asks him about it, and he just gives us a great parable. So it's the parable of the unforgiving servant. It's kind of hard to hear, so preparation. But I'm going to read this to us, part of it, to start with, so we can understand what it means that sin is relational debt and what it means to forgive. This is the parable of the unforgiving servant, and this is Matthew 18, uh, verse 23. Remember, he's teaching the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king, that would be God, who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle one, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. A few things I'm going to ask you to see here as we understand forgiveness and understand the cost of it. We don't pay in talents anymore, so let me break this down into our, and our, like, dollars. Let me just try to go there. A talent, first of all, this is all hyperbole, but a talent was the highest monetary value in their day. So a talent was, um, it was basically a year's wage, or 20 years wages. So that's a lot of work. So a talent would have been what a normal labor would have made in 20 years of work. Let's put a number on it. Let's say that a laborer makes $50,000 a year, in 20 years, that's one million bucks. That's a lot of money. So that's a talent. Now, 10,000 
of those. 10,000 talents. I'm not a mathematician, but I think 10,000 times 1 million is $10 billion. Somebody fact check me. That's a lot of money. It's $10 billion, 200,000 years of labor to pay back. So the debt that this servant has before the king is not minor, it's extreme. It absolutely exceeds probably even your student debt. It goes all the way there. It's, it's something that you could not pay. So even when he says, I, have mercy on me, I will pay you back, no, you won't. You can't do that. You won't be around long enough to pay back. So the idea is the relational debt that we have between ourselves as a servant of God and God is extreme, extreme. And he asks for mercy and God gives it to him at his own expense. Yes, he gives it to him with compassion. He says pity in the ESV, but it's compassion. Jesus has compassion. You see this in Matthew. So what is the cost of forgiveness? Because it's costly. Well, first of all, understand justice is real. You care about justice. Maybe you care about it socially. Maybe you care about it culturally. But I do know you care about it for yourself. When somebody is wrong to you, you want it back. And that's good, and that's godly. So justice demands from our just God that when you take something from someone, you pay them back and then some. So what about forgiveness? Here's what it means. Here's why it costs. As the text says, you're releasing them. Instead of revenge, instead of you, friend, are going to pay me back, I'm going to make you pay for what you did to me. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know when I'm going to do it. But hear this. I am going to do it. You will pay for what you did to me. That is revenge. Forgiveness says, I release you. Just like the king released the servant. You release the person, and you don't require payback from them. Doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it's just. It means that you are choosing to forgive like your heavenly Father has forgiven you. You are living blatantly the values of the kingdom of heaven publicly with those you're in relationship with. So this is why it's costly. You are put in a position when you forgive of releasing someone. Well, what does that feel like? Pain. It means instead of requiring payment, you are choosing to absorb loss and you're choosing to absorb pain. It's not fun, and it's hard. So this is why forgiveness is costly. This is why if your personal forgiveness before God is just abstract, like, yeah, 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 I know Jesus died in my sins, and yeah, yeah, yeah. If that's not real to you, you will find it nearly impossible to forgive somebody because you really don't feel like you've been forgiven much. So that is the cost of forgiveness. Let me put it in spiritual terms. This is 2 Colossians 13 and 14. I know you've probably heard this verse before. It says, by, well, I'm going to start at verse 13. And you who were dead in trespasses, that means unable to respond to God, in, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of our trespasses. What do you mean by that? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside nailing it to the cross. So you see, if we are in Christ, the cost of our 
sin, the relational debt that we owe to God, that we are obliged to to God, has been paid for in real time by Christ, God the Son. Does that make you happy? You should be sad and happy. Sad because I have that debt. Sad because I find it just ridiculous not to live for myself, to be my own servant, to create that relational debt. But God the Son takes on that. There's no more record of it. It's been nailed to the cross, not like on paper, on Him. He bears it. So sin is costly. We see that. We see it in the Old Testament with the sacrifices, bloody sacrifices. They saw their sin. They saw the the extent of their sin. So it's very costly. Forgiveness is costly. But joy in this, in Christ, your debt is canceled. Now think about student debt for a minute. Most of us have had it at some point in time. What if your lender said, you know what? We're just going to cancel your debt. Let's say it was severe. How would you feel about that? Nobody? Good. Yeah, okay. That's, a t- that's something that would probably take a long time to pay back, but you can do it. Think about the record of debt that stands against us, that Christ takes on. So it's costly. Forgiveness is costly. Second, forgiveness is countless, countless. So God is calling you to forgive from the heart without limit and without condition. These get worse. If you need to go, go. These get worse, but so much better. You want want to live in the world that God is creating. Trust me, you want this. Even if it's going to be hard, he'll give you what you need to do it. So countless means God is calling you to forgive from the heart without limit, without condition. It's unconditional. This is how God calls us. It's not easy. Now listen, (laughs) Peter was asking the question, for you that you just were afraid to ask. In Matthew 18 also, when Jesus is unpacking forgiveness, there's this very famous passage on um, church discipline that nobody wants me to read. But basically, what it says is, if somebody sins against you, you go to that person alone, and if they don't hear you, you take a couple others, and if they still don't hear you, then you tell it to the church, you know, pastors get involved, elders get involved, and the goal is to restore this person to walking in step with the Spirit of, the gospel, the Spirit of God and in the gospel, right? So then Peter says, after that whole diatribe, he's like, well, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I don't say seven times, but 77. So Peter's smart. And he's asking what you're thinking already. Hey, that's great for the church. That makes sense. I get it. But how many times do I have to suffer that? How many times do I forgive somebody if they've even been told and people have been calling them out, but they continue to not walk in step with the Spirit of God and sin against me? Now, in the Old Testament, in Amos, uh, there's a a paradigm that I think many of the rabbis picked up on, which is Israel is forgiven twice, maybe even three times by the Lord. So they would take that and say, that's a good paradigm for giving somebody else that sins against you. So Peter takes that, doubles it, and adds one. It says, seven times? You probably felt good about it. Like, seven times, Lord? Jesus says, no, 77. It's not about the number. It's about, it doesn't end. It's without limit 
It's unconditional. It's immediate. You're forgiving from the heart. Forgiving from the heart. I'm going to nuance this right now, and I want you to hear it, because this is something that really bothers me, and a lot of things, a lot of times when people are called to forgive, they don't do it because they will say something like this to me in counseling. Well, I can't forgive this person because that means I'll have to walk back and I'll have to pretend I'm their, their friend and I'll pretend like I know. No, you don't. No, you don't. Forgiving someone from the heart does not mean your relationship with them is restored. You want to seek that, but it doesn't mean that. It means you're choosing to release them from debt. You are forgiving them from the heart. Where am I getting this? Well, Jesus said as much in Luke 17, 3. He said, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if, conditional, if he repents, forgive him. So which is it? Unconditional or conditional, Jesus? It is both. You forgive from the heart, unconditionally, immediately, without limit. Right? This is about your standing with God. This is about your fellowship with God. There's no such thing as living in his kingdom and having a true relationship with him where you refuse to forgive somebody else. It's from the heart. However, relationally speaking, if that person does not repent, doesn't own their sin in your relationship with them, it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible, to be in a restored relationship with that person. Do you see that? Um, let's say they ran over your kid's toy in the driveway. You saw it, they knew it, and they didn't want to pay it back. And they're like, hey, don't, you know what? Maybe your kid shouldn't play around here. Okay, why don't you just pay for it? Maybe that's a minor. What happens if somebody... Um, What if somebody lays claim to something that's yours? Maybe it's a friend. Maybe somebody ruins your reputation unjustly just so that they can have your friend and take your friend from you. You're called to forgive them. However, you need to rebuke them. Hey, that wasn't okay. If they repent, they say, you know what? You're absolutely right. We're both Christians. I am so sorry. You've gained a brother. And Jesus again says, forgive them seven times a day. There's no limit to that either. However, if that person doesn't repent to you personally, you don't have a restored relationship. So unless there's repentance horizontally, your relationship's going to be at odds. However, you still need to forgive them from the heart. You don't require payback. You're not living to see that person get crushed. You're not playing a movie over and over and over in your head where you're the star of the movie and this person's life falls apart. That's what unforgiveness does. You will continue to play that over and over and over. So yes, it is countless, but understand that may not reconcile the relationship. I'm serious. Does this make sense to you? Do you understand that? Because a lot of times people say, well, I can't forgive them because I don't want to put myself in a position of trust with them. Well, then don't. Forgive them before God unconditionally, from the heart, and then work on restoration. We, have a, we actually have a process for that that I learned from Steve King. Um, if you have questions about that, come get me. Um, but it's countless. Think about your mental record for a minute. Is there somebody, this is how you know if there's unforgiveness. There's somebody and you just continue to think about them. Every time you see them, you think about them. And you think about you getting back what they took from you. 
and you fantasize about it, and you want them to be crushed. You want them to pay for what they did to you. Countless. Forgiveness is costly. It's countless. Third, it's comparative. Um, when I was a kid, I loved chocolate milk. I cannot tell you how much I love chocolate milk. Yes, I can. I will tell you right now. We would have Nestle Quick Chocolate Mix powder. It was so good. You put it in milk, you know, and so my cousin and I, we, would, we love this together. And so invariably when he's over in the summer, my mom would set two glasses in front of us. She'd do this very carefully. And she would pour the milk evenly in the glass. And then we would each get the same amount of chocolate powder to put into the glass. So help me. If, if, there was a if, if he had two millimeters more than I did, I would burn the house down. <laughs> I was crying. I was, I was man, six, seven, eight. I don't even know. I was freaking out. I was angry. Justice matters, you know. Like, it, he got more than me. And I'm pretty sure he drank out of my glass when I wasn't looking. My mom's like, look, I got a whole thing of milk. Calm down, right? Here's a two millimeters more. Justice mattered so much. The offense to me was so grievous hear this. And to six years old, it's a big deal. Chocolate milk is like the thing you live for. It was so grievous to me, I couldn't see anything else. I was tunnel vision on those glasses and then on him. I was so mad. I honestly think this hurt our relationship, like in the long run. When you focus on the offense, you will minimize grace every single time. God's grace, what he has done for you, will become tertiary and secondary. And yeah, I know that, but no, no. Forgiveness is comparative. Let me read you the rest of the unforgiving servant. So he released him and forgave him of the debt. Verse 28, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Denarii is like I think it's like a day's wage, so it's maybe $20,000 versus $10 billion. Do you see the gap? $20,000, $10 billion. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Same exact words. He refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt, now, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. Stop. When you, when you won't forgive somebody in this church, in this fellowship, in this community, that sin goes a lot of places. People see it. It bothers them. There's trouble. So they see it. They're distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him. So the king brings him back and says to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me, 10 billion. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus is not nuancing it. It's comparative. When you can't even take the first step to forgiveness, let me rephrase that. If you refuse to do that, check your own ledger. Check your own ledger and the debt that's been cleared, wiped out by 
God himself. Check that. God will give you what you need to forgive those that you need. So if your unforgiveness in your life reveals the condition of your heart, that's what it's going to do. Um, think about that. Has God's grace for you, has it, has it taken root in your heart? So much so that you can forgive someone who's really wronged you. Even if you're like, I don't even know how this is going to work out. I'm terrified of this. I'm so angry. Maybe rightfully so. But I'm going to do it. If you refuse forgiveness, it's no longer about them. It's about you and God. So it's comparative. There's no way that what you're called to forgive will match what Christ has forgiven you personally. So it's comparative. Understand that. Um, if you're refusing forgiveness, you must feel superior to that person. There's no other way around it. Now, yeah, I'm not great, but look what they did. And on some local level and comparative level, that's true. But before God, it's not. So forgiveness is comparative. Um, I like dogs. No, I'm going to change that. I love dogs. I like cats. Wow, that's hard to say. <laughs> Think about a dog for a minute. You feed them, you pet them, you love them, you give them a place to stay. They will think you're God, and they will happily become your servant and love you and serve you for the rest of your life. Am I right, dog people? Cat. You feed them, you love them, you pet them, you give them a place to stay, maybe even some catnip and a ball. They will assume they're God, and they will expect you to serve them for the rest of their life. Do you see that? Who's the unforgiving servant here? It's not the dog. The point is, has your focus been drawn away from the fact that you are first and foremost, you belong to God? You are his, and he has purchased you at great cost. So your forgiveness of others um, is required. It's required. Has your focus been drawn away from this? Are you so broken by what's been done to you? And for some of us, it's huge. I know some of you. You're like, I, let God have your focus back. It's not going to change what's been done. Let him walk you through the minefield of how to forgive. How to forgive. Um, and just another nuance. Some of us, like, I, I just want to qualify this. If somebody's hurt your feelings, it's not a sin. If somebody's broken expectations, it's, it, maybe it's probably not a sin. I'm just going to say that. Uh, we don't control one another's emotions. You might be mad over something that's not a sin. So when it comes to sin, it's chapter and verse. You, you are disrespected me in this way. You hurt me in this way. It can't just be, hey, I thought you were going to do that, and now I got really upset when you didn't. I'm like, well, I didn't even, I didn't, sorry. You can't hold, that's not a sin. So some of it is just growing up into maturity, into spiritual maturity, and realizing sometimes we're angry about something that wasn't necessarily a sin. And sure, we might have a conversation about it, but please don't hold, don't ask somebody to repent for something like that. 
okay? So we have to nuance that on both sides of the fence there. So it's costly. It's going to cost you. It's countless. You're going to be asked to forgive from the heart without condition, without limit. doesn't necessarily mean the relationship's restored, right? We're going to seek that too. It's comparative. Check your own ledger before you refuse to give and then refuse and then actually forgive like God forgives you. And lastly, it's consequential. There's great consequences, both good and bad, depending on what you do. Listen to what um, Jesus says at the end of the prayer. He says, uh, verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Same thing he says in Matthew 18. If you don't forgive others, you don't know me. You don't know me like that. You're rejecting my forgiveness of you by not forgiving others. Um, have you ever had a plant that you forgot to put holes in the pot in, but you water it a lot? What happens? The roots die. They rot. Right? I've done this. When you hold on to the grace that God gives you and the forgiveness God gives you, but you refuse to let it go and issue it to others, you will create a root of bitterness. You will rot internally. Um, here's what Mayo Clinic says. Effects of unforgiveness, anger, bitterness, so wrapped up in the wrong, you can't enjoy the present, depressed, anxious, lack purpose in life, start to lose your spiritual beliefs, and all the opposite if you do forgive. That's just from Mayo Clinic. Jesus is like, yes, all that, but you're going to lose your soul. So it is consequential. Unforgiveness is a prison. June 17th, 2015, Charleston, South Carolina, Emanuel Church. I know you've heard this story before. It was Wednesday night. They were running a Bible study there, like many churches do. Somebody walks into the Bible study. They're welcomed in, sits down. I think they're going through Mark 4, which is parable of the sower. They go through the Bible study. At some point after the Bible study wraps up, this person takes out a 45 and shoots nine people and kills them right there in Emmanuel Church. And that is shocking. Here's what's more shocking, if I can say that with respect. 36 hours later, some of the people that were in that Bible study and that were a part of Emmanuel Church are in the county courtroom making a heartfelt, true statement of mercy and forgiveness towards the one that executed their friends and family members. This was so disturbing to people that Time Magazine sent some reporters down there for six weeks to follow everybody around in this church and say, what's going on down here? And here's what they saw. 
The forgivers of Charleston trace their beliefs to a communion of forebearers. This culture has been nurtured in churches that promise someday the vindication of the just, the liberation of the captive, and the exaltation of the downtrodden. They worship a teacher, Jesus, who forgave those who crucified him even as he was dying on a cross. They don't belong here. That's what they saw. These people in Charleston who are willing to forgive someone who takes away the most precious thing from them, their friends and their family and lives, right? The ultimate cost. They're willing to issue a public statement of mercy and forgiveness for them. This person came in here to do this, to start a race riot. He was a white supremacist. And his plan was to issue, to start a race riot in the South. And they turned it on him because that's what the kingdom of God always does. And these people who were Christians, how hard must it have been to do this? To stand up and forgive this person publicly. And these reporters that checked it out knew it wasn't just for publicity. Because he, he ran with them for a while and he's like, these people are the real deal. This is heaven. You're seeing heaven break through the kingdom of darkness and set up shop in Charleston, South Carolina. You're seeing it at Emmanuel Church. You're seeing it in the local courthouse. This doesn't make sense. Who does this? And it's beautiful. It's like the transfiguration. You can hardly look at it. This is what heaven looks and feels like. This is the kingdom of heaven overrunning, overturning, flattening the kingdom of darkness. That's consequence. What was meant to start a race war started a dialogue where, where race is brought together, where things in common, like our unity in Christ, the fact that, yeah, we both are Southerners, regardless of what color we are. And they did it. They did it. That is consequential forgiveness. That's what it looks like. That's what Christ wants to see in our life. Listen, friend, here's something you're going to have to accept as you plan to forgive somebody today. They have taken something from you which you can't get back. And you're not going to get it back this lifetime. It's gone. And that's going to permanently change your story. Permanently. And because of God's love for you, if you will surrender it to him, if you will let him tell your story, then that pain and that loss is no longer hell but a gift because he will use it. You will be super qualified to do that, to forgive people like that, to shepherd people who need to forgive. You'll be super qualified to teach us what the kingdom of heaven is like. You just have to know that. But it changes your whole story. Forgiveness is costly. It's countless. It's comparative. It's consequential. Who do you need to forgive? There's a few people in here, right? Some of you need to forgive somebody. And if you can't get there, get help. We'll help you. Some of you have caused offenses, but you still think you're right. You need to seek out restoration. 
with somebody that maybe you didn't mean to, but maybe you just have low personal IQ, like, you know, emotional IQ or something. You just hurt somebody's feelings. You need to get on that. Unity is more important in the kingdom of heaven. And some of you just need forgiveness. You just need to surrender your life to Christ. And you need, like, you need to get in on this. You need to surrender your life. And you let your sin be covered by the blood of Christ so that you will understand what forgiveness is, so that you can belong to God, not by your works and your actions, but by his. Don't you want that? Hmm. This is why you can do this. Jesus bore the cost of your sin, right? In real time, it was counted as belonging to his life, right? He nailed it to the cross. There's nothing that compares with, with this gift that he offers you today. Nothing. And the consequence for him was death. The consequence for you is life. He's given you everything you need, us everything we need to walk in forgiveness as he calls us to do in his kingdom. So do it. Do it. Don't wait. Don't wait. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Um, we don't live in a kingdom where our forgiveness by you is ever in question if you will receive it, even in a future sin. There is nothing safer or more solid than the relationship that we have with you through the person and the work and the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension and the return of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Let us stand firmly in that and live as your children who forgive, who forgive even when it costs us. So would you help us to do that, Lord? And we surrender ourselves to you, even our stories. In the name of Jesus, amen.